1: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only programme brought to you by Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. We kick this week's show off, of course, with the Rugby World Cup and how the All Blacks are faring after their two opening games. We also take a look at how the rest of the competition is shaping up. Cyclist Linda Willemsen is New Zealand's newest world champion. And speaking of success, equestrian rider Janelle Price has gone and achieved an impressive record. We find out what that is. And to finish off the show, we take a look at the new rules changes coming to Netball. To start off the show this week, we are joined by our man in the stands in the UK, RNZ's Alex Coogan-Reeves. Alex, you've just uh, been there to witness the game against Namibia. Could you just give us a bit of a run through of what uh, what you've seen today?
2: Well, I think I've seen a pretty uh, a frustrating sort of a rugby game to watch, to be fair. I mean, uh, we no one expected it to be a tightly fought contest or anything like that, but I think it was kind of the worst of both worlds, just the way, uh, the way it transpired in the second half. Uh, the match dragged on for far too long. There were stoppages uh, right throughout. Scrums were taking minutes TMOs checking everything it, it all ended up being a debacle and it was a bit sad really to see so many fans leaving so early from a, with about 10 minutes still to go there the, a lot of them were heading for the exits because it just wasn't um the spectacle that they'd hoped for
1: yeah you've just uh, spent a bit of time with both the All Blacks and Namibians uh, in their press, co- press conference could you give us a bit of a run through of what Steve Hansen's thoughts on the game were
2: Uh, Hanson sort of echoed what I've just said he was um, pretty frustrated you could see it in his face Um, not that he normally gives too much away with his emotions but I think he's um, having the same problems with those sort of stoppages and the All Blacks are a team that like to be able to get the ball out and feed their backs and things like that and when it's just taking that long they couldn't get any sort of rhythm apart from that I think he'll be happy to have seen um, what what the boy, what the boys have done, especially the some of those second fifteen players who are who are looking to crack that top team. Um, I'm not sure how impressed he will be by all of them, and if if those guys have really made the most of their opportunity. But I think he'll be happy to have a pretty fit squad after two games and two wins.
1: We'll just quickly touch on the Namibians before we go any further with the All Blacks. What was their reaction to the game? They seem to do quite a magnificent job of slowing the game down uh, and sort of really restricting that scoreline.
2: Yeah, Jacques Berger, the captain, actually said they were disappointed with the result, which I guess is fair enough any time you uh, get beaten by that many points. But, I mean, a lot of people watching the game w- would give them credit for how hard they defended for a lot of the game, their tackling and things like that. But, but um... I think they're, they're quietly pleased with what they were able to do. But um, Jacques Berger, I mean, he's a true professional. He's been playing over here for Saracens for a number of years. And I think it must be quite um, frustrating for him to come here and, um, and, to, ta- and to take beatings. But I, I think they will be very proud of, of, of what they were able to achieve. And, yeah, especially slowing, slowing down the All Blacks' backs um, in that second half.
1: You'll touch on the backs now. Now, there are a few standout performances today. We had the likes of Sonny Bill-Williams, who looked great uh, in the back line, along with Nehi Milner-Scudder. What what was your diagnosis on how the back line, or how those players in particular, fared?
2: Yeah, well, I think those would be the two that have um, really done themselves a a great service in the match. I think with uh, Sonny Bill-Williams, He was already trending upwards, you could say, after his performance at Wembley Stadium. And then, uh, yeah, he just looked to pick up where he left off. And I think there's going to be some hard decisions for Hansen uh, come some of these bigger matches and what he does with his midfield because Williams is looking like he he needs to be picked at this point. But um, I guess Nono and Conrad Smith will have something to say about that. And for Milner Scudder, it was good to see him get a bit of time with the ball in hand, especially after... Uh, that bombed try at Wembley, he, he'll he be able to move on from that pretty quickly. And I think he's sitting at four tries from four tests at the moment. So he he was desperate, I think, to have a big game with Waisaki Naholo coming back in next week. As far as the other backs go, I'm not sure if we saw anything amazing or learnt anything we didn't know. I think Bowden Barrett will be disappointed with the way he kicked. Uh, that that might be the one question mark stopping him from being I guess the the first choice second 10 in the team is that his goal kicking hasn't probably been where he'd like it to be um, on the back of that Hurricanes campaign but um, yeah I think I think all in all they've they've done as well as they could expect it they they maybe just looked to spread the ball a bit too often and I um, got a bit excited and fell into that trap that you sometimes can get into when you're playing a, a lesser team, and um, everyone wants to score on every every play. Yeah, the uh,
1: patience seemed to be wearing thin a little bit on occasions, and of course, those crossfield kicks came in from Barrett. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. Uh, one player that probably wasn't so confident after the game, I thought, was Julian Savia. What what did you make of the game for him, and in, in, in fact, his first two
2: games? Um. Well. <laughs> You know it 's always a bit harsh on a guy that scored two tries in a in a test match to say that he didn't have the best match, but i mean i I know he hasn't had had the luck that he'd like or the form that he 'd like so far, but i I like what i 'm seeing from him in terms of looking for work he is He is still hungry and it 's not quite coming off. I know that he'll be feeling a bit of pressure with why Naholo coming back like Milna Scudder. But yeah, I definitely think he'd be keen to really get going in these next two games just so he can get a bit of momentum on. And maybe just just scoring those two tries will be what he needs to, um, to, to kick on and just get a bit of confidence back.
1: Yeah, let's hope he certainly does. Uh, now quickly, I see that Colin Slade picked up a wee bit of a, a niggle uh, in the second half there. Could you give us a bit of an update on what the injury count is like with the All Blacks?
2: Uh, yes, uh, Hanson said with Slade going off there, it was just a bit of a tight hamstring. They had planned to play him that entire half at um, first five, but they just said they didn't want to risk risk him pulling a hamstring uh, in, a, in a game like this. Uh, aside from that, we've still got Messam. I think that's also probably more precautionary than anything. And then we've got Waisakhi Naholo coming back next week. That's all the injuries we know of at this stage in, uh hopefully we won't uh, wake up tomorrow morning and find out that someone hasn't recovered so well.
1: Yes, indeed. Let's hope that is the case. Now, quickly, uh, just how do you think the All Blacks are tracking now? You know, they're two games in. I mean, they'll certainly have a few things to work on. Do you think they're heading in the right direction?
2: Yeah, it's it's always hard to get a read on them, I find, after games like this. I, I was one of the ones who thought that they played pretty well um, in that game against Argentina, their first-choice side. They they look composed in that second half, and I never really felt too worried about them dropping that game because we've seen what they can do in the second half of games so often. And I think tonight was more about seeing how some of these second-string guides go. I think when you get the the top guys and all the veterans back in, that, that we will see a better performance – next week and um, and against Tonga uh, in two weeks' time. But, yeah, it is it is very hard for them these next few weeks trying to, you know, stick to their structures and, and build with big games coming in the quarterfinals uh, when, when they're not really getting tested by the opposition.
1: All right, we've touched enough on the All Blacks now, I think. Let's take a quick look at the rest of the competition Every team has played a game now in the World Cup. Do you think that we're going to see any more big upsets like Japan over South Africa now that that rust has effectively gone?
2: Yeah, well, that'll be um, one of the interesting matches of the weekend, seeing Samoa come out against South Africa, I think, on uh, I think Sunday New Zealand time. I think Samoa will be pretty pretty fired up for that one, and, and the South Africans too with a point to prove. I mean, it's pretty. I'm not going to come out here and predict a, an upset like Japan, South Africa again, because that's a it's almost a once in a lifetime sort of thing. And I think you'll find as these top tier teams play play more games, they're going to get better and better. And um, with some of the short turnarounds for these uh, tier two nations, minnows, whatever whatever we're calling them now. Um, you might see with the lack of depth in their squads, they start to tire. I mean, we, we saw it with the Japanese yesterday. Um, as, as well as they played in that game, I thought, they just um, ran out of steam there. So, I mean, I, ho- I hope we do see some, some more upsets, but I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to pick them.
1: Fair enough mate fair enough now quickly, you have been uh, you know sitting in the stands enjoying the atmosphere at these games. Could you give us a bit of a run-through of what the uh, what the crowds have been like and what the what the feel of the tournament has been like since the uh, week is now over
2: yeah I, th- I think on the most part it's been pretty good I mean it's always hard in a city like London for anything to truly take over the city I mean when you 've got eight and a half million people there's there's so much going on, but at the games I th- think the fan experience has been pretty good uh the england game on uh friday or saturday new zealand time was a was a great atmosphere at twickenham and you are seeing the rugby jerseys round in the pubs and things like that and i think it, especially we've got england wales this weekend that's going to be a massive game in london and also up in cardiff they'll be they'll all be packed packing the pubs for that one so i think it the tournament will definitely pick up momentum. And, of, and of course, um, Japan Japan have ha- helped the early stages, uh, giving a bit of interest. And the pub was pretty full yesterday afternoon when I went in to watch that game and lots of people cheering for Japan. So, so things like that can only help. And I think as um, I move up to Cardiff with the All Blacks, whether rugby mad, it's just going to be even, even crazier.
1: <laughs> that was Radio New Zealand's ACR from London. So let's take a quick recap at how the pool situation is faring after the first week of the competition. In pool A we have Wales and England, they are on top with 5 points each after having bonus point wins. Australia is in second or third I suppose you'd call it, they are on 4 points after their opener against Fiji and the Pacific Nation is on 0 points along with Uruguay. And pool B, this is the pool with a bit of a bit of a shock to it, I suppose you would say. Uh, Scotland is on top with five points. They are followed by Japan and Samoa, who are both on four points. This is the real surprise here. South Africa, they were third coming into this competition in terms of world rankings. They are only on two points after they lost to Japan, who were 13th when they met in their opening match. But sitting at the bottom of the table, luckily for South Africa, is the US who have zero points. In Pool C, well of course that is our pool, the All Blacks pool. They are on top, they have nine points. In second is Georgia, they have four after their win over Tonga. And that is leaving Tonga of course in third, they are on one point. While Namibia and Argentina, they share last place with zero. And finally in Pool D. This is France and Ireland's pool. France is on top on nine points after their two games. And then we have Ireland in second on five points, but they've only played one. While Italy, Romania and Canada are all on zero. You are listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme brought to you by Radio New Zealand Sport. Now let's get into some other sport for a change rather than just rugby. Six years after winning her first world championship medal, New Zealand cyclist Linda Willemsen is a world champion. The 30-year-old Danish-born cyclist won the individual time trial at the World Road Championships in Virginia this week. She had previously won two silver medals and three bronze medals in the event, and she was fourth at the 2012 Olympics. The American Kristen Armstrong, she was the early leader, But Willemsen was one of the seated riders who managed to chase her down in the 30km timed event. Willemsen told Barry Guy that after going so close so many times before, she was hyped up for the event.
3: Um, I did wake up with extra motivation, that's for sure. (laughs) But I didn't quite think I was going to win. I was kind of hoping for just a top place, but yeah, it turned out really well.
4: You've been through this event so many times now. Was today any different?
3: I don't know it wasn't any different, but it's all about the rainbows, isn't it? And every year, especially every year, there's a new town, new country, new, new course. But this one today was just perfect.
4: Tell me about the course and today's race. Obviously everything went to your liking
3: yeah it was a little bit of everything today. there was a technical technical parts of it. There was a bit of wind, a bit of a hill and then pretty much a little bit of everything and then it was a bit longer too than we previously had so a bit longer of a, of a time. Tackle.
4: You were in front at all of the time checks, so what what are the tactics?
3: Actually, I didn't start as quick as I sometimes do. <laughs> Because I was thinking it was a long time trial, so maybe that helped up being, well, that might have been the winning factor, I don't know. But it was more steady pace, and I think I kept the two, the two laps even. So maybe being a bit more tired out on the second lap, but given it absolutely everything.
4: You seemed pretty happy once you crossed the line. Did you think it was a winning yeah. time?
3: No, but when I when I heard that my time was better than Armstrong's I was already like thinking, Okay, this is pretty good. Um Armstrong went out way really early today and it might have been a disadvantage actually because the wind the wind over the hours might have changed a bit. I don't know, but um when I found out that I was well my, my time was better than hers I was happy but I'm never too happy to the last ride I the line.
4: How does it feel having gone so close in other world championships to finally stand on the top of the podium today?
3: It's just incredible. It's unreal. It's really unreal. Like Every other year, it's been close. It's been, well, near the top and then finally being on the top step. It's
4: incredible. And as far as your career is concerned, you're going to... You know, keep doing this for a while now. You know, just winning today is not the end of it?
3: Uh, I hope it's not the end of it. I hope there's plenty more good things to come. But at, at the moment, we're looking ahead. Well, next year is an Olympic year. And for sure, trying to to be fit and ready for, for the Olympics.
1: That was Linda Willemson there talking to Barry Guy. New Zealand equestrian Janelle Price has become the first rider to win back-to-back titles at the Blenheim Palace horse trials in Oxfordshire. Price led the three-star event from the first day on board her horse Cloud Dancer 2. Her husband Tim Price was 10th after he placed 2nd just two weeks earlier at Burley. Richard Wayne spoke with Janelle Price and he began by asking about Cloud Dancer who gave her the lead after the dressage which they never relinquished. Price agrees he's unusual for one of their rides in that his speciality is dressage rather than the more rough-and-tumble disciplines of eventing.
5: Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's born, he's bred to do dressage. That's really what he's uh, bred for. So he's a little bit of a um, unique case that he's eventing actually at the level he is at with such success. So, yeah, he's a bit of a different kettle of fish to the type of horse. You know, I'm used to riding, obviously, having come from New Zealand, and our background is very much New Zealand thoroughbreds. But on the flip side, yeah, the New Zealand thoroughbreds wouldn't do a dressage test like he can.
6: Swings the roundabouts, I suppose. So, look, tell me, what yeah. to, to win Blenheim back-to-back and become the first rider ever, I mean, that's history-making stuff. Uh, when when you, you know, figured out you'd won, what was sort of the emotion?
5: Oh, it was more relief, I think, Um just more relief and satisfaction that you've got the job done. You know, it was good to come out and lead on the first day, um, then to hold, you know, there's obviously two days of dressage and I went at the very end of the first day. So it's quite unusual if you've led at the end of day one, it's quite unusual, I guess, to hold your lead right through to the end of the class. But obviously I held a a substantial lead in terms of dressage. To then go and jump a clear round and, and increase that lead even more I knew I sort of had it in the bag as much as you can have something in the bag where horses are concerned. I mean, anything can really go wrong, but I knew it was a very real chance. Unless I did something stupid, I I should have the win. So it was definitely more probably relief, I think, that um, we
6: got the job done. Of course, uh, you know, you're competing against your husband or with your husband, sort of both, I suppose, in a way. But uh, how good was it to get, you know, one up on him here, finish at top while he was 10th?
5: yeah well, he obviously got one off on me the week before at Burley, so um <laughs> it was nice to turn the tables and um, yeah, we've been doing a bit of cat and mouth, I guess this season, but um as long as we're both bringing home a paycheck, I don't mind too much
6: uh, there must be i mean obviously there's a competitive dynamic there and uh, but it's complementary too it's a, it must be quite nice and may, maybe a bit of a strain at times as well to be competing you know against your husband.
5: Absolutely. And, you know, over the years, we've sort of been through patches where one of us is probably having a bit more of a golden run than the other. So um it's actually really nice to both be having a run of good form at present. It definitely adds a complexity having the um, two of us. We are very competitive, Um, but, you know, you learn to live with it and we've not known any different, really.
6: Is the series at the moment, is it all part of trying to qualify the country for Rio and ad- eventing?
5: No, we have a event coming up in about three weeks' time in Holland called Bukalo, and that is uh, just that one single event is where we have the opportunity to gain the qualification for Rio. So we have to um, beat the Japanese, basically. So um, it should be a matter of course, but um, yeah, who knows? we still need to go out there and you know, again get the job done but you know it should happen but then you know we should have qualified at the world championships as well but we didn't so um you can't take anything for granted but um hopefully it will all come together
6: and uh any word on andrew nicholson have you heard how he's recovering and, and do you think he might you know be okay to compete at rio
5: no i haven't caught up with him um, obviously we've been away a lot but i, I believe he's doing well and He's confident he'll be back in the saddle and, um, you know, in the new year and, and gearing up for next season. But, um, you know, it is a major injury, and I guess, you know, he just has to see how well the recovery goes. And But we look forward to having him back.
6: Perhaps finally, the competition inside the New Zealand camp to make the team for Rio, how strong is that? And how much of a chance do you think you and, and Tim are?
5: Ah, look, you know, a year is a long way away. Um, certainly, you know, if you are going to name the team, Tomorrow, then, you know, we'd obviously be pretty strong bets uh, with uh, Wesco and Ferry D'Animo, respectively, would be our our top horses, and they've come off the back of a very strong year. Tim was obviously second out in America at the start of the year at Kentucky, and then myself with Ferry D'Animo was a very good second at Lemoulin Four Star. Um, So they would certainly be front runners here and now. But uh, a year is a long time to um, keep horses sound and in form, and that's sort of where our focus is, is based on just trying to keep those horses looking good. And if we do, then, um, you know, I can't see why we wouldn't be making the starting lineup.
1: Richard Wayne there, speaking to Janelle Price. Well, less whistle, fewer injury timeouts and a speeding up of the game are the aims of a handful of netball rules changes that will come into effect next year. World netball bosses voted through a series of changes during a meeting at the recent World Cup in Sydney. Dawn Jones, she's one of the three New Zealand officials on the sports rules advisory panel. She told Bridget Tunnicliffe, spectators will be pleased with the reduction of whistles.
7: We did some statistical analysis of whistles on games and found that about a third of the whistles could be eliminated if we took out a whistle after a goal was scored and for obvious out-of-court decisions. In other words, a whistle only if it wouldn't be clear to the players that the ball was out. So both of those have been adopted as part of the new rules. So there's now a hand signal but no whistle when a goal is scored And no whistle for out of court unless it's deemed to be necessary.
0: Okay, and you're trying to standardise procedures for dealing with foul play. In the past, I guess it's been down to the discretion of the umpire, but is there a more structured way for them to deal with foul play?
7: There is a more structured arrangement suggested in the rule book now. It is obviously in the hands of individual umpires how they use those rules, and there will need to be education with that. But there's a clearly defined structure that now takes you through from caution, official warning, suspension and ordering off. And a major change is that a suspension now is a standard two minutes. Up until now it's been over to the umpire how long they suspend a player, which could be for one goal or could be for three minutes or whatever. But it's now a standard two minutes.
0: I assume that the umpire will still have the ability, if someone does something really dangerous, does the umpire still have the ability to order someone off straight away? Absolutely,
7: yes. According to the seriousness, they can jump to whatever point in that structure is appropriate.
0: We've seen over the last few years injury breaks have increasingly been used as tactical timeouts. So, what changes in store for this area of the game?
7: Right. All injury illness breaks, and also for blood stoppages, are now limited to 30 seconds. Whereas previously, blood was two minutes, up to two minutes, and injuries were the first stoppage for both teams in a quarter was two minutes, the rest were 30 seconds. Now they're all 30 seconds, and the player must leave the court.
0: What if you have a situation where a player is just mildly winded, for example, and they only need, say, 30 seconds to recover, and normally in the past they'll just stay on the court? Does that mean the team then will have to call for another injury timeout to get that player back on the court?
7: Technically, probably, yes. Uh, I have to say that I think in all the... I don't know how many years that I umpired and have watched games, I don't think I've ever seen a player winded. But you could have a mild injury... There is obviously the ability for the the substitution of players to be worked around stoppages. But to be frank, you can't cut everything out. And that seemed a lesser intrusion into the game than the current tactical use of stoppages.
0: Do you think there was a bit of resistance among coaches for this change? Because they, they would probably see those timeouts as quite valuable from a coaching point of view.
7: I'm sure they do, but it's interesting that the International Coaching Committee did recommend that change be made. So there was support for it from coaches. I should say that one of the things that's been done to compensate is the intervals have now been lengthened. And that does give a little bit more coaching time during the intervals.
0: And I suppose it's up to, a player now has to decide very quickly whether it's worth calling an injury timeout or whether they can just um, brush off the bruise and just get
7: on with it. That's right.
0: Now the other one is players no longer have to wait for the infringing player to stand down?
7: Yes. Now, I'm not sure how many years ago that used to be the rule. And the rule was changed so that the player had to wait for the infringer to stand aside. And even worse, if they didn't wait, they got penalised, so lost possession. And that's been reverted back to the, the uh, rule it was previously where the player who is taking the penalty may take it as soon as they're in position. They've got a choice.
0: So this will help speed up the game? Yes, and it
7: will. And I think other things that will speed up the game, obviously, the injury stoppages will. Uh, also, the centre at the centre pass, now only has to have one foot in the centre circle, whereas they used to have to have both feet in. They couldn't have a foot outside.
0: Now the other one, goaltending is no longer allowed. Has that come as a result of the introduction of the lift?
7: I don't think it really has, but it was seen as a possible extension. And I think where it has occurred was more in the men's netball than in women's netball whether it's perhaps superior, jumping height and so on. Uh, It hasn't actually been an issue in the game, but it was seen that it could be, particularly if lifts were allowed. So it's been dealt with in terms of the downward path of the ball being considered to be sacrosanct, whereas you can intercept it on the way up.
0: So you don't think this rule change will discourage
7: people from trying the lift? I can't see that it would, because as I say, when it's been used in the women's game, none of it has ever happened on the downward parts of the ball.
1: Dawn Jones says the advisory panel has recommended that there should be further trialling of awarding two points for shots scored from further out. She says there was some concern that particular rule changes could blur the lines between basketball and netball. And speaking of whistles, the final whistle has blown on extra time for this week. As always, feedback is welcome via our Twitter account at rnzsport or our emails sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Matt Chitterton. Bye for now.
4: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts?